X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, August the 5th. The 5th of August, by the way, is known to be an excellent day to rate and review the podcast, to share it with friends, to tell a couple of friends. Give it five stars for August the 5th. Today, back in the day, August the 5th, 1962, Nelson Mandela was jailed. He would not be released until 1990. He became president of South Africa not long after. And today, back in the day, August 5th, 1992, four police officers of the Los Angeles Police Department, who had been acquitted on criminal charges of beating Rodney King, are indicted on civil rights charges. Today, we will have your quick six news headlines, also a preview of Sneaker Week with Morgan Jones and Can Jones from the numbers in the podcast Unrefined Sophisticates. We also have a special interview with Kent Ford on the history of the Black Panthers in Portland. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Since at least 2018, an organization paid for by taxpayers has been lobbying for the timber industry. There's another big story from Rob Davis, this time in partnership with Tony Schick and ProPublica. Rob Davis is the award-winning reporter who did the series on Oregon's unlimited campaign contributions and linked that to our state's losing its environmental leadership. This time, the story is about the Oregon Forest Resources Institute, a public body founded in 1991. As a public entity, it's barred from lobbying or attempting to influence policy. The OFRI gets $4 million taxpayer money every year. That's not huge for a state agency, but it is very big for an Oregon lobbying entity. On paper, their mission is to educate people about forestry and lumber products. However, the emails show that OFRI leaders coordinated with the timber industry on lobbying efforts, including attempts to cast doubt on climate research. In 2018, OSU, Oregon State University, led a study demonstrating that logging is one of the biggest climate polluters in Oregon. Forest ecologist Beverly Law found that the state could dramatically shrink its carbon footprint if trees on private land weren't cut as often. That recommendation pushed against the approach of real estate, trust, Wall Street, investment funds that cut trees at young ages to maximize profits. OFRI leaders got to work discrediting that research. They attempted to persuade lawmakers and the dean of the College of Forestry at OSU to disregard the study. Tim Locke, the former leader of the OFRI, coordinated with timber lobbyists on messaging, and here's the quote, that those of us in the industry can use. Locke was, again, to be clear, a public employee at the time. OFRI leaders also took part in discussions regarding attack ads against Governor Brown's re-election. The timber industry is known to wield a lot of power in Salem. For decades, they've been one of the biggest sources of political money in the state. Initially, OFRI leaders worried that the new climate research would influence Governor Brown, who is working on climate change legislation. However, the 2018 climate bill ended up not including the lumber industry. In fact, the bill specifically excluded any reductions in logging. That same year, State Representative Paul Holvey proposed a bill to shrink the OFRI's budget. That bill was opposed by the timber industry, and it died. Now, a spokesperson for Governor Brown, Charles Boys, called the findings, and I am quoting, deeply troubling. And we here at The Local will be watching and listening for developments. Your daily dose of coronavirus data, 342 new cases, five new deaths. Umatilla County reported 61 new cases, more than any other county. To be clear, they're much smaller than several counties, including Multnomah County, which reported 57 cases. Washington reported 29 cases. Clackamas reported 21 cases. They're trying to be treated differently than Multnomah County and Washington County. Total number of confirmed cases in Oregon is now at 19,699. I suspect it would be morbid for me to predict that we'll reach 20,000 tomorrow. And the total number of COVID-related deaths has risen to 333. A new outbreak was reported at a summer camp. The virus was found at Trout Creek Bible Camp July 18th. 
shut down the camp three days later. The camp will now remain closed for the remainder of the season. 25 guests and staff have since tested positive, all of whom are age 20 or younger. In other COVID news, NPR analysis shows Oregon has lost more revenue on average than many other states. The tax revenue of the average U.S. state has declined 29 percent during the pandemic. Oregon's tax revenue, on the other hand, has declined 53 percent. This is presumably due in part to the relatively tight and early measures imposed to contain the virus, including the closing of many businesses. Overall, lawmakers now are expecting a $2.7 billion shortfall in the budget. Budget cuts will be a big part of the agenda on August 10th when lawmakers assemble for another special session. In other political news, there are updates on the dueling preschool measures. The universal preschool now measure, of course, is the one that got the signatures to be referred. The county effort, led by Jessica Vega-Peterson, has been meeting with them to compromise. The two efforts now have agreed to join forces, but there's still complications. The technical plan would have the county adopt the universal preschool now measure, which they're allowed to do, and then immediately repeal it. It's not in the Constitution or in the charter, so they're allowed to adopt and repeal. And then they could refer a compromised version of the measure to voters. But there is some question about whether that would survive a legal challenge. Commissioner Sharon Myron wants both measures to be on the ballot. She thinks that's the way democracy ought to work. You get the signatures, you get your measure on the ballot. That said, presumably a big campaign would push only one of those if both of them were on the ballot. They'd push the compromise one. But what happens if they both pass? Would there then be a compromise between the compromise and the one they compromise from? Who said politics is boring? Idiots, that's who. And I mean because the word idiot comes from the Latin idiotis which meant those who do not participate in public affairs. Don't be an idiot. Listen to the local and vote. In some local business news, Powell's Books is reopening its location in Beaverton. Starting August 7th, the Cedar Hills Crossing Powell's will be open once more. A few added safety measures in place. The store will also have limited hours. Powell's stores have been closed since Oregon went into lockdown in March. They have, however, continued to operate their warehouse and fill online orders. Powell's will also now begin offering pickup options at all of their locations. CEO Emily Powell has been frank about the challenges of operating a retail business during the pandemic, saying that brick-and-mortar locations could only be reopened when customers feel safe returning. This is the first reopening since Powell shuttered their locations in the Portland International Airport, where they've been operating for over 30 years. And Comcast is facing a Department of Justice complaint. The complaint regards the Internet service that Comcast provides to low-income students in partnership with Portland Public Schools. The complaint alleges the company is advertising a Comcast Internet Essentials program that doesn't provide essential data speeds for online instruction, particularly for families with more than one kid. Comcast denies the complaint. Late Monday night, Portland police rushed protesters and made two arrests. The arrests were made near the Penumbra Kelly building on East Burnside, where Portland police housed their crime prevention and neighborhood involvement units. Officers declared the protest near the building an unlawful assembly, ordered protesters to move to East 53rd. Video then shows police rushing the crowd and arresting two people. In other protest news, protesters discovered that some of the tear gas deployed by officers has outlived its shelf life. Pins from tear gas canisters collected by protesters show production dates as old as 20 years. Tear gas is supposed to expire after five. There is no evidence now that tear gas causes long-term health effects. There's also not a lot of precedent for frequent exposure to tear gas. Tear gas is not usually used on a nightly basis, as it has been in Portland in recent occasion. So while little is known about the impacts of repeated tear gas exposure, even less is known about the impact of repeated exposure of expired tear gas. Here's some follow-up on a couple recent stories. 
Kindergarten Cop has been canceled. As reported yesterday, the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger film was set to launch the Northwest Film Center's Cinema Unbound series at Zydale Yards. Kindergarten Cop filmed in Astoria, lots of Oregon film connections. The pop-up drive-in theater is going to feature films like Moonlight, The Birds, a new documentary about John Lewis. However, the choice of a headliner fell under scrutiny from some, including local author Lois Levine. She questioned whether amidst protests over police brutality, glorifying cops in schools is a good choice to lead the series. For their part, the Northwest Film Center did not state whether Levine's comments influenced their decision. They're swapping it out now, and this series is going to start on August 6th with an additional screening of John Lewis' Good Trouble. The first screening on August 7th was already sold out. The drive-in film series is going to run until September 26th at Zydale Yards in the Southwest Waterfront. All your tickets got to be purchased online in advance. And some good news. Some Portland parents may indeed receive 1000 bucks a month to help with child care. We know that Portland students won't be heading back to school until November 5th at the earliest a decision that relieved many worried teachers. However, the decision brings new worries for parents. What are they going to do with their kids? Fortunately, a survey recently said to parents implies that some child care support may indeed be headed to those who need it, and Portland Public Schools plans to offer $1,000 subsidies. Any parents who work or go to school may qualify for some or all of that aid. Stay strong out there, everybody, and that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. With Sneaker Week coming up on August 7th, the hosts of the Unrefined Sophisticates podcast, Morgan Jones and Cam Jones, talk about how the LGBTQ and sneaker communities intersect. They're in conversation with Faith J. Wilson, the founder of Woke PDX, H. Jackson, founder of Jackson Shine Company, and digital program manager Jess Rowe. Faith, would you mind giving us a quick intro to you and what you do? Sure. So my name is Faith, I'm the founder of Woke PDX. The whole purpose of Woke and our events is to give people an immersive experience to where they can talk about race, several discriminatory practices or biases known and unknown, and take those conversations back to their community. Hey, Jess. I have founded nothing, so props to, <laughs> props to all the founders, right? Yeah, <laughs> entrepreneurs. Um, but so I'm a digital program manager, uh, which means I work in tech. And I've been in Portland for about six years uh, and holding down this quarantine with my wife and two rescue dogs and a cat. So keeping it real gay over here. <laughs> all the way gay. All the way gay. Eight. So I'm the co-founder of Jackson Shine Co. Um, we are a shoe care cleaning business, primarily located at the Portland International Airport. In addition to that, I'm a Willamette MBA student, um, a candidate, um, slated to graduate at the end of this year. So that takes a lot of my time. Born and raised in Portland, the backyard of the swoosh. Uh, so really heavy into sneakers and super excited to be here. Yeah. Nice. So there are a lot of subgroups within shoe and sneaker heads, right? Much like there are tons of subgroups within the LGBT community. Like what, what do sneakers mean to your part of the LGBTQ community? Like what, what's the, how does it hit you? When it comes to dating and depending on, you know, who you're attracted to or what their style is, like I've always been attracted to more feminine women. So I've always known that those women are going to wear heels wherever we go. And I, okay. I've always known that I'm going to wear sneakers wherever I go. That's it. Have you ever had any opposition to the, to I'm coming with the sneakers on? No. No? 
Nice. Did you get opposition showing up with the sneakers on? No, because I brought myself. Okay. I brought yeah. myself and the people. Oh, look at her. She brought the tenderoni. Oh, look at her. I brought myself. I brought myself. People, if if they're if they like you, if they love you, they're gonna love you and not what you're wearing and stuff like oh. that. So. Tell that to seventh grade that I seventh grade school I went to. I I fade like four. You can tell every middle schooler that for the rest of their lives. They're never gonna believe you (laughs) until they're until they're thirty seven and they're like, You right. You You know what? That was right. That was right. So H how does how does sneaker culture relate to the LGBTQ community for you? This is an interesting com- uh, a question. Um, I think for me in the sneaker community, like if with sneakers, I can express myself um, authentically. And so I think we live in a world uh, where a lot of people are, you know, wearing, wearing the same thing so much. They're doing the same things, having the same thoughts. Um, and in the sneaker culture, I found that I could be different, um, uh, you know, it'd be true. And, and, and um, I, I, I feel that way, obviously, in the LGBTQ plus community as well. So I feel in alignment in both of those worlds. Oh. Um, and I think just as we all see on this panel today, everyone, you know, has a different love for sneakers, has a different story, has a different uh, representation or meaning of what it means to be in love with sneakers. And so I think that's the dopeness of it. It's, it's very fluid. And so I think both of those worlds um, are, are similar in that way for me. That's super dope. That's, Jess. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, like, sneakers are a part of my journey in coming into this community and coming into myself. And like, what yeah. I mean by that is, is um, both Faith and H sort of alluded to this is like, being told that I shouldn't have them on or, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you can't have that colorway, but you can have this pink colorway that I wanted nothing to do with. Mm. Um, and like, I spent most of my time growing up not expressing myself via my manner of dress, the way that I actually felt mm. and the way I wanted to show up in the world. So now yeah. be able to, to do that, um, not only with sneakers, but, you know, head to toe, um, it just means so much to me um, to be able to kind of let the world know, like, yo, this is who I am. Um, so for for me, um, wearing my sneakers is a, is a part of that, is a part of me, is a part of that journey that I've been on to be fully me. Um, I think in terms of the, the LGBTQ community in Portland, it's kind of interesting just because, like, the mainstream LGBTQ community here is pretty white. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and we're looking Welcome at a lot to Portland. So it, it can feel interesting a little bit you know, less so in the last four months because I've just been trapped in my house, but like moving in those communities, like aesthetically, I am very aware that I stick out in a crowd when I go out on Pride Weekend if I'm not at an explicitly black event, you know? Mm, Um, So, you know, that part of it still exists, but I'm sticking out for a number of other reasons. So (laughs) it's hard to pinpoint. (laughs) Yo, facts. (laughs) What do you guys want to know? What's your take on Pride sneakers? Are any of the brands getting it right? I feel like all of the, most of the brands are just, oh, let's put a rainbow on it and call it a pride sneaker. To me, you can't really have a pride sneaker. To me, getting it right is working with queer artists, influencers, and creators and letting them create a dope shoe that maybe doesn't have a rainbow on it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like, it's for the community, it's from the community. Like, that's the thing I'm like, when that shoe drops, I will be all over trying to get that done. Yes. That part. Kent Ford joins us next. 
Kent, founder of Portland's Black Panther Party, and Jefferson Smith discuss history and what today's activists can learn from the past. Since May 25th, Portland has seen nightly protests across the nation and here in our town on behalf of the Black Lives Matter movement. Protests in response to police brutality and against racism against black Americans, the catalyst being the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department. Portland, of course, has its own history of police brutality against black Americans. Just in September of 2018, Portland police killed Patrick Kimmons, for whom demonstrations are still taking place each week. This morning, we're talking to somebody who can teach us more about both Portland and the United States history and the fight for civil rights, Kent Ford. Ford is the former captain of the Portland chapter of the Black Panther Party. Kent, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's let's start with, do you want to start in the present or do you want to start back in the day? Your call. And, and by the way, I want to make sure back. that people know. We can go backwards and forwards, you know. It all depends on what's more important to you. All right. Well, Dad, you had something to say, Pop. Go ahead. And I, then. Just, I just want to make sure that you are aware, and he is aware, and our listeners are aware, that his youngest son was one of your close pals when you were a little boy, and his daughter was one of my was a file clerk for me when she was in high school. Is Seku is Seku uh, your grandson or son? Seku is my youngest son. Oh, that's great! Yes, yeah, we used to, okay. So we met when I was a little kid, and yeah, because we used to run we used to run together. Oh, that's great! Oh, well, thank okay. you so much for joining us. So, so tell us about. The I, I bet you the number of listeners who could give chapter and verse on the history of the Black Panther Party in Portland is very, very low. Give us what you think people need to know about how the Black Panthers were engaged here in Portland. Repeat that question again, please. Yeah, just tell us some about the history of Black Panthers here in Portland. Actually, uh, thanks. Uh, it's a history no more than party chapter of uh, in any other uh, state, you know, that we had, uh, you know, we the party spread it across America like a prairie fire, you know, like 28 chapters, including the District of Columbia. And, and Oregon, uh, Portland was no different, you know. We had a chapter in Seattle. With Seattle, Seattle was a second chapter outside of Oakland. And uh, you had a chapter in Eugene, you know, and then we had a chapter here in Portland. And uh, that's pretty much it. How did you get engaged? How did you hook up with them? Well, actually, uh, what brought me into the party? A, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, I want to tell you. I want to tell you, it wasn't the civil rights movement. It wasn't the. Uh, it, it wasn't the uh, uh, civil rights movement of Dr. King. It, it was. Uh, it, it was uh, sort of like uh, trying to. Uh, the Malcolm and, uh, and and Malcolm's wife and uh, Huey. You know, Huey actually brought me into the party personally, and. Uh, when the weekend he got out of jail, you know, he walked over to me and asked me, I, I was there, you know, and he asked, walked, asked me where was I from. I told him Portland, you know, and he, next thing he asked me, do we have any buildings? Well, I said, yeah, we got three buildings, you know. We didn't use the city buildings or the state buildings. We got our own buildings, you know, for the health clinic, the dental clinic, the breakfast program, you know, and we we uh, we had our own buildings. So, you know, nobody can tell us about policy. Uh, we have to do a day away or anything like that. Huey Newton, so, Huey Newton, founder of the Black Panther Party. How did you two meet? Actually, I went down for a distribution conference. You know, the party, uh, had, the party uh, had a weekly paper that came out back in the back in the day, and uh, 
we had we sold over a hundred thousand papers. I distributed more than a hundred thousand papers nationwide uh, every week. And so I went down for a distribution conference. the weekend he got out of prison behind all that business with uh, with the Oakland police. And so we're in the we're in the back of the uh, place on Pareto Street down in uh, West Oakland. And he walked, and you know, we were just doing some stuff, you know, lifting weights and stuff like that, and. Uh, sort of, you know, we uh, preparing ourselves for the struggle, you know, uh, that was ahead. So, he, in the process, near the end, he walked over to me again. He asked me where we were from, and I told him, you know. And then a week later, he brought me, brought me to the party. I kind of was on the fringes before that. This was in 1969 or 70. Uh, I can remember now, you know, and some of it I can remember as if it was yesterday. And, uh, and when you were so you join up in 96, 1970, and you said you started operating buildings that offered services. Talk about some of the services that the Black Panther Party in Portland was providing. Uh, we had a breakfast program, you know, nationwide. We fed uh, 30,000 kids nationwide. And uh, here in Portland, uh, we had uh, a breakfast program. And a week a week after the uh, we st- started the breakfast program, then Governor Tom McCall went on statewide TV. A, a pre- had a press conference saying that the public Portland Public School was going to uh, have a bre- start have a breakfast program in all the Portland Public Schools. And uh, we had uh, it was two blocks from the from uh, Highland School, which is named Martin Luther King School. You know, the city got into the Martin Luther King business uh, in the late. Uh, uh, in in uh, in the in the late seventies, that's when they got into the Martin Luther King business. Started renaming streets and schools and 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 and, and, and apartment buildings, and so so you have it. So what happened? Uh, we uh, that's one of the big biggest and baddest things we did. You know, at five o'clock in the morning, you know, we'd be loading the trunk of the car with what you call weapons of mass destruction. You know, a, a bacon, eggs, pancake mix. And, and he had to, the, to feed the kids in the morning. Kids still come up to me today, you know, uh, acknowledge me and appreciate me, uh, you know, for, for what I used to do for them. I never knew. And they were little things then in their 50s now, you know. And uh, But that's one, of the, that's one of the biggest and baddest things that we've done. No, the free breakfast thing. I mean, I, I was, we had, when I went to Grant, we had a breakfast program. And I'll, I'll bet you the percentage of young people at Grant who knew that that was something that got started by the Black Panther Party of the United States is far too low a percentage. Well, that, that may be true, you know, but uh, it doesn't matter, you know, to, to us, you know, uh, you know, we 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 started it. You know, we sustained it for years, and uh, we maintained it. And uh, and uh, you know, it's just to, to show you know what you know these are so-called you know black berets or uh, uh, militants and all this. You know, you know we uh, could, could do for the people. And the party had a ten-point platform and program. You know, and it was just. Uh, uh, speaking out of Lewis and Clark College and, uh, and uh, just uh, back Black History Month. And after the end of the program, you know, they read the 10-point platforming program uh, of the Black Panther Party. And number seven is, you know, we want to immediately end the police brutality and murder of black people. And that's as relevant when it was written in 1966 as it is today in 2020. I'm looking at it. I'm like I'm looking at it right now. Uh, we believe we can end police brutality in our black community by organizing black self-defense groups that are dedicated to defending our black community from racist police oppression and brutality. What was your experience? The extent you want to share 
at in the in the you know very end of the 1960s and in the 1970s moving forward around police interactions uh, with the black community that you were that, that you witnessed or had to engage in actually you know I, I could probably go for the rest of the day and night you know on uh, on, on the treachery you know that the Fordham police department uh you know uh, was uh engaged in in the black community you know from uh you know downright you know just uh, sh- uh, uh, murdering 16-year-old kids and, you know, just, and no questions asked, just throwing you in jail and in prison you go, you know, and uh, you don't have a chance to defend yourself on fair trials. You get downtown, you know, all the judges, you know, uh, uh, was appointed by, you know, say that some of the governors and and one by the mayor, you know, and uh, and so so basically, uh, that, that's what you had, and just no questions asked, you know, and, and uh, my experience with that, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it was a uh, police force of maybe six or seven hundred uh, officers. Then, you know, and uh, and and uh, you know the commissioners and and uh, you know the police commissioners and stuff like that. Once we had a guy, Charles Jordan, we had a job. He was he was he was commissioner of police. You know, they yep. they they put him in charge of it, but they told him he couldn't fire the police chief. You know, and well, you know, he. he he, he took the job anyway, you know, and uh, it was just 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 token figurehead stuff, you know. And I remember yeah. when I remember 1981, and this, I, and if I had known about this, I forgot about this. 1981, the Burger Barn incident, when uh, at least two officers, <laughs> maybe, maybe as many as ten officers, put dead possums outside the Burger Barn, which was a black-owned uh, burger establishment. Was the Black Panther Party still going on in 1981? Were you were you uh, were you aware of that? I mean, I assume that was. That was well on your radar screen. That was done by police officers. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, they actually, the owner of the Burger Barn, you know, uh, George uh, George Poole and his wife uh, Jerry. You know, we we were friends. You know, we stopped in there all the time and shoot the breeze. You know, and and it was just a little mom and pop pops operation. But for some reason, they didn't like the Burger Barn. You know, and so they decided to go to that length. But it was the political climate at the time. You know. We, we had a Republican governor, we, and uh, you know we had old Frank Iverson, you know, with bless his racist soul, you know, and uh, Cointel Pro had pretty much uh, pushed everything to the curb, you know, uh, with, with their treachery. And uh, but anyway, they threw those possums in front of the Burger Barn, and uh, his son Andre, you know, uh, in, uh, in, anyway, his son Andre seen the whole thing unfold, you know, and uh, what happened. So I called Charles, and I asked him what he was going to do about this. And he said, oh, I'm going to move on this, Ken. I said, you know, back in my mind, I said, sure he is. You know, and, uh, puppets, you know, they they, they don't uh, amount to much. And uh, you have to let history play out sometime. So what what happened, you know, and I think a couple of guys got uh, suspended from the force and dismissed, and they called some, some arbitrator in from Southern Oregon. And uh, and they put him back on the job, and uh, that was it. You know, you said earlier. You said they're accomplishing more in sixty days, and we're able to accomplish in sixty years. In civil rights, yes, that's what I said. Yeah, I'm reminded of the Jacob Reese quote: "When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. <laughs> Yet at the hundred and first blow, it'll split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. When you see now some of the rock splitting, how much do you think about all of the rock pounding, of all of the stone cutting that's been going on for decades?" 
Oh, uh, thank you very much for that question. What, what, what can I add to that? You know, uh, it, it, you, you can't put this back in the back. This time we have to take it to its conclusion. Just before, you know, you had me on, I was listening to your program and a young lady called, and I was talking to somebody about daycare, you know, universal daycare for everybody, Medicare for everybody. Uh, let's push things to its conclusion now. No more concessions, no more wood nickels. Uh, corporate America has corporate America has failed and failed Black America. Again, we were revolutionary socialists. We organized from the street corners. Uh, uh, you know, one day uh, I, I do these walking tours. You know, of the neighborhood about all our sites. You know, the dental clinics, the health clinics, the breakfast programs, and. Uh, now, I explain, I, I, I get into civil rights, you know, I get into the preacher, uh, the, 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 the preacher who turned activist, and, and, uh, and but no, everybody, you know, think Martin Luther King gave two speeches, and that was the uh, I Have a Dream and the uh, the other speech, Mountaintop. But then he gave that speech at uh, in 67 uh, at Riverside Church in, uh, in New York, you know, where he, talk, where he turned against the Vietnam War. And uh, after he had done that, almost a year to the day, Dr. King was dead. But anyway, I'll no. Let, let's dwell on that for a moment, if you would. We're talking to Kent Ford, uh, founder and captain of the Portland chapter of the Black Panther Party. Started out here in 1969. Uh, been a Portland resident for a long time. You said something just really, really important. That right now, I mean, we see the NBA with Black Lives Matter on the on the floor of the games okay and we see now the media is covering this differently than they covered it 40 years ago i would argue that's good news on the other hand right the the nba is not is not pushing for you know universal preschool they're not pushing for universal food programs they're not pushing for housing programs they're not pushing for something that's going to do something about generational wealth disparities and what i heard you say was this is not just this is not just a matter of of you know, corporate power recognizing black lives a little more what i think you're pushing for is transformational societal change but i don't want to put words in your mouth no, 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 I like what you said. I, I like what you've been saying so far. It's pretty much what I want to say, what you've been saying. Uh, you know, it, it, this is no, you know, a few, a few of us get some jobs, you know, I get, I get in, the, you know, corporate America and, uh, you know, make some management, I get in some, I make some uh, handouts and decisions. You want uh put us in positions of powers and influence and all that. You know, we get power, but we don't have the influence or anything like that. And, and then, you know, the, uh, America survives. It, 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 uh, there's old Arab uh, saying, you know, the dogs bark, but the caravan moves on. on and so that's what's happening now. The, the caravan is moving on. And, and all, all the stuff from the from the 60s and all that, all that, and, the, and all the uh, civil rights stuff, and I have a dream and mountaintop and all that, that all that's good, you know. That, 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 they, they didn't push, they don't that for over 50, 50, 55 years, 60 years now, since 19, when he made the speech in 1963. But anyway, all that's, I mean, in all the communities uh, all across America, you have MLK Boulevard. We, here we got a Rosie Parks Boulevard, Cesar Chavez Boulevard, all that's good. The city got in the civil, in the, in the Martin Luther King business in the 70s. You know, they got some demigods and middle of the roaders and fence trailers to go along with them. And and uh, you know and they're pushing for this and pushing for that, 
one of the local newspapers. They even brought them down from Seattle, Cointel Pro, and sent them up here in Portland. They endorsed the Republican governor back in the early in, in, in the early 80s, you know, right after the election of Reagan. And he, and he served for eight years. We got nothing, you know. Actually, we don't want to, you know, I have a friend who's uh, 83 years old. He look, he looks at when he see Donald Trump on television. He say, "I don't want him to do nothing for me. He just just want just want him to go. You know, just go." Well, I can't Ford. I want to say thank you so much for spending time with us. It's an honor to have a chance to talk to you. I appreciate you spending this time. It, 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 thanks for having me on. Heck yeah, man! Appreciate you. Yeah, we all finished. Uh, yeah, I think we're done for now. I'd love to have you on again. Okay, thanks, man. Uh, anytime. Just call me. All right, we'll do it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I pre- appreciate it. Okay, I hope I've done all right. Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Be well. Say hi to your sequel for it. Yeah, say hi to your family. I will. Thank you. I'll tell him. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks to Morgan, Can, Faith, H, Jess, and Kent for joining the local, and thank you for listening to local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving your five-star review. Pretty please. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.